Hello, friends. I'm Alan Kirshner from Eschatos Ministries. As a Christian, you can't help but hear the news and watch the turmoil of our day and know that the return of Christ is nearing. Bible Prophecy Daily is committed to the daily feeding of God's people to make overcomers. But there is a material cost to this global outreach. Please consider committing to giving to Eschatos Ministries on a monthly basis. You can easily do so by clicking the support button in the corner at the podcast website at BibleProphecyDaily.com. We appreciate you and pray that God will bless and strengthen you. Thank you. You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Greetings, fellow believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. In this episode, I will discuss salvation in the Old Testament. Now, there are those who think that it was different than it is for us today. Some think that it was through keeping the Mosaic Law. But that seems strange, since the law actually came 430 years after God's promise to Abraham. And God, in fact, proclaimed the gospel to Abraham in that pregnant statement, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, which is explained by Paul at Galatians 3.9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Now, someone might ask, why discuss salvation in the Old Testament when this is primarily a prophecy podcast? Well, the reason is because first, the need for salvation has always been the same since Adam and, and Eve lost relationship with God uh, through the sin of disobedience. Uh, Genesis 2.17, in the day you eat of it, the tree, you shall surely die. Uh, Romans 5.12 says that through one man, the sin, referring to the sin nature, entered into the world and uh, the, the death, that is the spiritual death, through the sin nature. Now, all people are born dead in trespasses and sin, according to Ephesians 2.1. Thus all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3.23. That is, they are deficient of divine righteousness, deficient of God's righteousness. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. And the second reason it's because the gospel message is an everlasting gospel. According to Matthew 10, 23, it's going to be proclaimed by the church throughout Israel before Jesus returns. According to Matthew 24, 14, it's going to be proclaimed by the church throughout the entire world, and then Jesus will return. And then, according to Revelation 14, 6, after Jesus returns, the everlasting gospel will be proclaimed to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So because of man's sinfulness, there's a need for redemption from sin, and there's the need to be righteous in God's eyes. The sinfulness of man must be paid for. Well, this requires uh, someone to make that payment, uh, a redeemer. 
And God, of course, provided the promise of a redeemer and, and that first salvation promise at Genesis 3.15 and, uh, and then taught about it through the animal sacrifice. He taught Adam and Eve what the redeemer would have to do. Genesis 3.21 talks about the uh, animal sacrifice or rather the uh, making of garments of skin, which obviously involved an animal sacrifice. It should be obvious that God taught them everything they needed to know about their sin problem, the need for a redeemer, and the symbolic significance of the animal sacrifice. And so their relationship with God was restored by accepting God's provision, God's policy, and putting faith in his policy for forgiveness of sins. The faith trust in that promise is always a mental choice. At that time, the animal sacrifice was simply an overt demonstration of faith. The animal sacrifice itself did, did not save, and uh, performing the sacrifice did not save. The gaining of salvation, relationship with God, and the possession of everlasting life was, and always has been, by faith alone, in the Redeemer promise alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. At Hebrews 9.15, it's called the promise of the everlasting inheritance. Now, I believe that the people of the Old Testament knew and understood much more than the written text reveals, and that includes in the area of God's plan of salvation. The Old Testament was not designed as an evangelistic manual, but I do see evidence that the people in the Old Testament understood what the core of the salvation provision was that is, a Savior, the sacrifice of the Savior for redemption, resurrection, everlasting life in heaven, and, of course, the required response of trust in God and God's Redeemer promise. I'm pretty sure that the people did not offer animal sacrifices without understanding that it symbolized the salvation promise that had been taught since the time of Adam. At that time, when God made animal clothing for Adam and Eve, I truly think that he taught them and then and there why the animal had to die in order to provide their clothing. The animal sacrifice then became the primary teaching aid about salvation, symbolizing God's plan for the future Redeemer. And it was established as policy for demonstrating one's faith in the salvation promise from the beginning. You know, we learn a lot from Genesis 4, 1 through 7. Rejection of God's policy indicated that one did not trust in God and in the Redeemer promise. Hebrews 11.4 tells us that Abel believed and followed God's policy. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. Now, Cain didn't believe and chose not to follow God's policy. According to 1 John 3.12, Cain was an unbeliever and was of the evil one. Because he did not trust in the messianic promise, he of course didn't have a relationship with God, and he rejected God's policy or proper worship protocol. He wanted to approach God on his own terms. And then when he tried to gain favor with God, he was rebuked. God told him, if you do right, surely you will be accepted or lifted up. And if you don't do right, sin is crouching at the door. Now, sin refers to the sin nature. There, tempting, keeping Cain from following 
the policy of God, crouching at the door, influencing your life. And the, uh, the rebuke continues, and its desire is for you. We learn about this desire of the sin nature in, 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 in the New Testament, lust uh, of, the, of the flesh, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the, the flesh. Uh, and then the exhortation or the rebuke probably is a better way to say it uh, continues. But you must master it. That is, you need to master the influence of the sin nature. So, OK, the pattern for teaching about salvation through the symbolism of the animal sacrifice uh, is seen in Scripture for the next 2400 years. And then at that time, it was formalized in the Mosaic law. In that context. Hebrews 10, 3, and 4 give us its significance. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder. Well, what's a reminder? What's that mean? It's a teaching aid. But in those sacrifices there is a teaching aid, a reminder of sins year by year. Now, as stated there, performing an animal sacrifice did not secure any kind of relationship with God. But it was the centerpiece of overt worship activity for those who had truly trusted in the Redeemer promise. Sadly, later within the nation of Israel, sacrifices were performed by many of the unbelievers of the nation of Israel because it became a cultural and sometimes even a superstitious activity. And of course, in that vein, such practices were totally unacceptable to God. Isaiah 1, 10 and 11 declares, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your many sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Now, while the animal sacrifice was the overt symbol for salvation, the reality of a salvation relationship with God could only be realized by personally trusting in God and God's Redeemer promise. At Genesis 4.26, this trust in God was indicated by the expression, calling upon the name of the Lord. Promise is stated by Isaiah at 55, 6 and 7, and there it encompasses both a change of mind and faith in God's policy for salvation. Seek the Lord while he may be found. <clears throat> Excuse me. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, the true issue of a change of mind is to reject one's present belief system and accept the divine belief system, which is trust in the messianic promise. That was the problem with Cain back in Genesis 4. He had adopted his own personal belief system uh, that the production from his own labors could give him some kind of credit with God. He uh, was rebuked, as we saw, and needed to reject his belief system and hold on to the policy that God had established for salvation and for worship protocol. He needed to call upon the name of the Lord. That is, trust in God's policy and reject his own human and satanic ideas. Now, this policy was established and summarized throughout the written revelation from God, such as at Joel 2.32, which uh, is given in an end times context there, but the principle 
is uh, universal based on Paul's quote of the passage. At Joel 2, it says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And again, at Romans 10, 13, Paul gives it a universal application. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, the gospel was also proclaimed symbolically by the very fact of the created universe. As Psalm 19 declares, the heavens tell of the glory of God and their expanse declares the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. And as Paul conf confirmed at Romans 10, 18, but I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Well, on the contrary, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, earlier, Paul clarified this at, at Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident among them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made. But we need to keep in mind, God's wrath is not revealed and assigned unless the remedy is also proclaimed. For God desires all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He's not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to a change of mind. That is a rejection of their, <clears throat> their, their wrong belief system and adopt, accept God's belief system. So even more beyond the written revelation in the Old Testament, the details of the gospel and the required response was orally proclaimed by those who had been appointed by God to be his representatives. We have summaries throughout the written revelation, but the oral teaching would have been very detailed. Now, Romans 10, 14, and 15 clarifies this for us. How then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a proclaimer? But how are they to proclaim unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Peter tells us that Noah was a proclaimer of righteousness. Now, certainly his message was how to get right with God. He and the hearers understood that he was talking about being right with God through forgiveness of sins. You know, Noah's message was not to get people to come on the ark. God's plan was not to get anyone else on the ark except Noah plus seven. Noah's message was to get people saved. The flood was coming and uh, all are going to perish. Job understood about redemption and a redeemer. Job 19, I know that my redeemer lives and later he will arise on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed from my flesh, I shall see God. And Job was a family priest, a proclaimer, administering God's truth to his society before and probably after the crisis recorded in the book. At Job 29.7 and following, Job proclaims, When I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the public square, 
The young men saw me and hid themselves, and the old man arose and stood. The leaders stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. The voices of the prominent people were hushed, and their tongues stuck to their palates, as it were. To me, they listened and waited, and they kept silent for my instruction. Abraham was also a representative of God, and as such, he lived and proclaimed God's standards. God proclaimed at Genesis 26, 5, Abraham obeyed me, fulfilled his duty to me, and kept my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The Old Testament does not tell us specifically that Abraham and the other believers understood about their heavenly destiny, a salvation relationship, but the New Testament tells us that they did, in fact, understand it. Hebrews 11:16. but as it is, they desire a better country, a better destiny, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed about them to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city, a heavenly city. Moses understood about the Redeemer promise and the person of that promise, the Messiah. At Hebrews 11:26, it says that Moses evaluated that the reproach associated with the Christ, with the Messiah, was greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking at the reward. Certainly, the reward he was looking for is the reward that we saw at Hebrews 11:16, a heavenly city. These people understood what redemption meant and understood that it was only available on God's terms. Many of the Psalms teach this. Psalm 49, 7 through 9, for example. No man can redeem another or give to God a ransom for him that he should live on eternally. Verse 15, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he will receive me. The Old Testament prophets taught about forgiveness of sins through a Savior. At Acts 10.43, Peter proclaimed, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Well, what this indicates for us is that the summary information was recorded in the prophets, but the oral message was passed on in more detail by the, the, the prophet's message. Uh, Jesus says basically the same thing. He understood that the Messiah was in view all throughout the Old Testament. At Luke 24, 46 and 47, he told the disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, believers living in an Old Testament context understood that God would provide a savior for both Jew and Gentile. At the time of Christ's birth, man named Simeon proclaimed, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. Now he understood this before Christ's birth, but upon the birth of Christ, he realized that the promises proclaimed throughout the Old Testament that he had been taught all his life, that he believed, were now being fulfilled. Salvation throughout the Old Testament was by faith in the coming of the Redeemer. Most of us should know, should know that, that, that faith 
or rather salvation now uh, after Christ's death and resurrection is looking back to faith in the historical reality of the arrival of Christ and the work that he performed on the cross. Of course, based on his resurrection, which verifies the work that he did. So on the cross, when he said it is finished, that is paid in full, that ransom, that redemption for sin was then later confirmed three days later when he rose from the dead. Another example is the Samaritan woman whom Jesus witnessed to. She acknowledged, I know that Messiah is coming. So she understood that there was a teaching about the future Messiah. And the Messiah was to be the one who brings salvation. The people of Sychar, where the woman lived, confessed later after, after listening to the teachings of Jesus. We have heard for ourselves and know that this one truly is the savior of the world. Well, this is based on a frame of reference they had, teachings that they had received. And these weren't even functioning within the nation of Israel, as it were. Let's go back further. At Luke 11, 31 and 32, we learn that the queen of the south and the people of Nineveh received eternal salvation. Jesus spoke at that time. He said, the queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the, the last judgment and condemn them. Because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, what she heard and believed must have been redemption information from Solomon. Solomon's wisdom certainly included his knowledge, as stated at Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is reverence God and keep his commandments. So the word reverence is, is much better translation than fear. If you understand that fear means reverence, fine, but usually when someone hears the word fear, they don't understand the positive aspect of it. Reverencing God begins with accepting his policy for redemption. The message of the everlasting gospel at Revelation 14, which I mentioned earlier, says, reverence God, give him glory, and worship him who is the creator. Keeping his commandments is accepting his policy for living here on earth after salvation. But keeping the commandments are not uh, the, the means of salvation. So when Solomon mentions uh, keeping the commandments, he has both ideas in view. That is, first of all, accepting God's policy for salvation, reverence God, and then following, uh, following his policy after salvation, which is to follow uh, the teachings of God revealed in Proverbs, Psalms, and of course, uh, much of the social instruction in the Mosaic law. Now, what about the men of Nineveh? They're going to stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented, that is, changed their mind at the proclaiming of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Again, the specifics are not recorded, but repentance. That is, the change of mind indicated a rejection of their present belief system and acceptance of God's policy for adjustment to his justice. At 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11, he tells us that the Old Testament prophets understood about the need for salvation and the Redeemer promise. And as they received that revelation from God, they continued to search for more details 
about the person of the Messiah and the timing for his arrival. Peter wrote, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made a careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of the Messiah within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories to follow. Remember the Bereans? When they were taught about Jesus being the promised savior of the world, they were able to confirm it by examining the Old Testament scriptures. So, yes, the gospel was proclaimed all throughout the Old Testament, but it needed to be taught and explained. And there was much oral teaching that uh, went along with uh, reading the scriptures. Uh, just like the New Testament needs to be explained. And that's why we have spiritual gifts of pastor, teacher, exhortation, and even evangelist. And that's why the Ethiopian at Acts 8 needed to be taught about Isaiah 53, which he was reading. Remember the Philippian jailer at Acts 16? He was moved by the testimonial impact of the apostles and asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Their answer was a summary statement, of course. They, they had to explain what it meant. To just say that to someone does not communicate the true message of the gospel. To just say, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Same goes for simply telling someone, you must be born again. It doesn't mean anything unless it's explained. So as we understand uh, our salvation since the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it is uh, by faith in him um, and him alone, apart from works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, that salvation is not of yourselves, that salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should find some reason to boast about it. That message was the same throughout the Old Testament as I uh, hopefully established. So throughout the Old Testament and to this very day, the principles of Romans 10 apply. So then faith comes out from hearing, as hearing the gospel message, and hearing comes through the word about the Messiah. And then the summary statement, universal invitation for salvation, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.